Our second lesson is from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. There are two miracles that happen in our lesson from Acts. The first one is really obvious that the disciples stood up as so many were gathered in Jerusalem and they spoke and everyone could understand them each in his own language. This speaking in tongues was a miracle. A miracle that seemed to offset what had happened in Genesis chapter 11 where the world was divided among nations and languages where confusion abounds because people do not speak the same language. Here on Pentecost Everyone could hear, each in his own language. Now, in the Christian church, speaking in tongues is often misunderstood. It's often thought to be kind of unintelligible babble. So maybe you see uh, a program on TV about a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church, and there's somebody speaking in tongues, and nobody knows what they're saying. They have no idea what they're saying. It's just confusion. That is not what is going on here in Acts chapter 2, and that's not... A biblical way of speaking in tongues. God is a God of order and not chaos. He's a God of sensibility and not confusion. And St. Paul tells us that when people are given the gift of speaking in tongues, it is not so that they may not be understood, but so that they may be understood. And here, on Pentecost, we have the first instance of this gift. 
that the disciples opened their mouths and people who did not speak the same language as them could hear and understand. You can see that this is not just some confusion of languages because all of the languages are listed. That's a long list of very specific languages that the people each heard in, whatever made sense to them. It wasn't just the clanging of cymbals. It wasn't a trumpet making an indistinct sound as St. Paul describes it when people speak in confusion. Instead, it was clear. It was clear and the goal was understanding. That's a miracle. It's a miracle in our world, a world which has been full of confusion from before the Tower of Babel. Really, the problem is not a diversity of languages, but the disorder in our hearts. And so here on Pentecost, when everyone can hear and understand clearly, a miracle has occurred. The confusion and the deception and the disorder are done away with. This is a marvelous thing. And this leads everyone to be bewildered and perplexed. What is going on? We can each hear in our own language. But the second miracle is more significant than the first. That's a big miracle. Everyone understanding in their own language. But the second miracle is better. Listen to what they say about what they hear. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's a more profound miracle. This wasn't just some chit-chat about the weather or the stock market or farming or anything else. Not small talk. It was not ordinary, everyday conversation. But when the apostles opened their mouths and spoke and everyone understood, it was the mighty works of God that were declared to them. The mighty works of God's salvation. That's a miracle. We do not deserve, we sinful human beings do not deserve to hear a word about God. After all, what happened in the Garden of Eden was humanity plugged its ears to God, did not want to listen, did not want to obey, did not want to follow his lead, and so we do not deserve to hear any good news from God. We do not get, deserve to hear about his salvation, and yet, this is what happened on Pentecost. The disciples opened their mouths and everyone heard about the good news, the preaching of Christ crucified for sinners, even for the sinners who crucified him. This is what Peter says. He goes on. His sermon is not over at the end of our lesson. He goes on and describes how Jesus was lifted up on the cross, how you who were standing around and listening now to this message, you are the ones who crucified him. When you think about it, we are no less guilty than they, although we were not the ones who shouted, crucify him, crucify him, on Good Friday. Nonetheless, it was our sins that nailed him to the cross. Peter preaches that message. The wages of sin is death. It was because of our lovelessness, because of the disorder in our hearts, because of our attraction to sin and death, that Jesus died. That he was crucified for you. Peter preaches this message and everyone hears. They hear and were cut to the heart. They said, what should we do? This is incredible news. How do we handle that? We've never heard anything like this before. That God should so love sinners. Even the sinners who are responsible for his death. What a miracle. When we think about Pentecost, so often the church wants to think about inspiration. I talked about this last week, about strong feelings and emotions, but that is not what Pentecost is about. That's not what the Spirit of God is about. It's about the testimony that Christ died for you. 
that this is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, that this news coming to you is the most important thing that could ever happen in your life. And that's why the miracle of Pentecost does not stay, does not stay at that day in Acts chapter 2, but continues now. After all, this miracle, this miracle is happening right now. The fact that you all sit here and that you hear each in your own language the mighty works of God, that is a miracle beyond reckoning. We never deserved it. We could not even have asked for it, and yet God has done it for us. He's proclaimed to us this good news, that everyone who calls on his name, from the least and the lowliest, the greatest of sinners, everyone who calls on his name may be saved. We're like the Israelites when that bronze serpent was lifted up on a pole and the news goes out almost too good to believe. All you have to do is look and you will be saved. The Pentecost miracle is still in effect. The fact that you hear in your own language the gospel and that the gospel is mighty, the mighty works of God for your salvation, that is something to hold on to. Never forget. Never lose sight of it. Never think it insignificant or ordinary. Do not take it for granted, but rejoice. Rejoice like all of these people on the first Pentecost. Rejoice that God has come to you in this way. They rejoiced because it was kind of like the lights had been turned on. What had once been obscured in darkness by the sin of this world had been made clear. It's like those moments when you're driving down the highway and your windshield is covered with dust and you can't see anymore and then you turn on the windshield wiper fluid and there all of a sudden, clear as day, you can see before, before you everything that's in front of you. Or like my glasses get too dirty and finally I clean them and it's like I've never seen before. That's what this day was like for the people of Israel. For those people who were standing in Jerusalem, for you and for me. Clarity about God's love in the cross. Now, there are two reactions to these miracles in our lesson from Acts. The first reaction I'll get to in a second. The second reaction is perhaps more interesting. Those who were standing around bewildered, some of them said, these people are drunk. And Peter says, look, guys, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. Instead, they've been overwhelmed by the good news of God's love for them. That scoffing and that mockery that's what we can expect from this world when the good news is proclaimed. You should beware that the good news that you hear in church on a Sunday morning, the good news that you carry with you day in and day out, it sounds like folly to our world. It sounds like drunkenness. It sounds like false hopes. It sounds like a dream. This world is asleep in its sin, and when the news comes, Christ has died for you to save you from your sin, the world kind of wakes up a little bit, rubs its eyes and says, no, I'd rather go back to sleep. Would you quit bothering me? Would you leave me alone? That's the reaction of so much of our world. That's the reaction to you, because you carry this good news with you in your lives. It's like St. Paul says. He says, to those who are being saved, we, Christians smell beautiful. We're an aroma of life. But to those who are perishing, to those who don't want to hear, to the scoffers and the mockers, to those who will think you are drunk, you are a stench. You stink to them. They cannot stand it. They want to plug their noses. They want you to go away. Beware. That's how the world reacts to this good news. <clears throat> Another sign, in fact, of how desperately the world needs this good news. 
It doesn't even know how good it is. It cannot take it. Thanks be to God that he has preached it to you, that he has opened your ears to hear, that he has revealed to you that the foolishness of this world, the foolishness of this world is the salvation of God. The Son of God dying on the cross for you is not folly, but your hope, your utter and utmost hope. Now notice this, that nobody standing around at Pentecost in Jerusalem, nobody says, well, this isn't really a big deal. Nobody can ignore what's going on. And that's another important thing to know about our world. When the message of the cross comes, there's no middle ground. Either they will reject it or they will embrace it. No one gets to be indifferent about it. Maybe they'll pretend. Maybe the world will pretend not to care, but everyone in their heart of hearts is convicted by the law of God. You crucified the author of life. And so no one, no one gets to not react. No one gets to be indifferent. And that's why the other reaction is so precious in our lesson. They were bewildered. This is not what they were expecting when they came to Jerusalem at Pentecost. They were expecting to offer their sacrifices to God, to hear the scriptures. They were expecting to be in fellowship with one another. And now they have discovered that they've been in fellowship with God, that they've been brought back into fellowship with God by his son, Jesus Christ. This clarity caught them off guard. They were bewildered and perplexed. They were used to living in a world of disorder and disarray, of things not making sense, of this world that says that God is foolish. Here, because of the preaching of the gospel, because of the message of Christ, that bewilderment gives way to faith. And we hear at the end of the lesson, at the end of Acts chapter 2, that 3,000 souls were saved that day, that 3,000 who were confused... By this wonderful news, 3,000 turned to God in faith. They trusted in him. Having been cut to the heart, having seen their sin and the wages of their sin, they believed God's love. They believed his promises and they were saved. That being cut to the heart, that's part of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Conviction over your sin. The recognition that your hearts are the problem. And that's why what comes to us by faith is not just some good news that we can hold in our minds, but it is good news that comes with gifts, gifts including a new heart and a new tongue. A new heart is what we need most of all. The world would look at a story like the Tower of Babel and like Pentecost, and the world would think, look, if we could just get together and communicate better, If we can ignore our differences and we can all talk about the same things and be on the same page, if we can all share a love for humanity, then everything will be okay. Then every problem will be solved. This is the effort of every philanthropist in our world. This is the effort of all the humanitarians. This is what the world thinks is best. Look, let's just ignore our differences. Let's all speak the same language and everything will be okay. But that fails to reckon with this problem. That speaking the same language only led to more and more disaster in Genesis chapter 11. Our hearts are so corrupted by sin that if we unite around anything else, anything other than God's love for us, it will only lead to worse disaster. The problem is not our confusion of languages. The problem is not division among people. The problem is not that we have tribes and nations all over the place. The problem is in your heart and mine. And that's why the best news this day is not only that God has forgiven your sins and wiped away 
all that was held over your head, all of the guilt that you bear because of the things you've done, but he has promised you a new heart, his own heart. He has promised to give you Christ's own heart, the heart that loved even unto death, the heart that gave everything up to save you, to show you goodness and mercy and kindness. That's the heart that God gives to you by his word and in his sacraments. Thank God that even now in the midst of this sinful world, even now while you bear this sinful flesh, God has begun the work of creating you anew. That even now he is teaching you to love as he loves. Seek that gift. Pursue that gift. Paul says, I will teach you a greater way, something greater than speaking in tongues. He says, love is the better way. Learn from Christ to receive love and to give it. Put your trust in him and thank God that he has shown us his love in such grand display. Naturally, your purified hearts, your new hearts give way to new tongues. This is the great news. This is the reversal of Babel. It's not that everyone begins to speak the same language after Pentecost, but that instead of using our tongues for cursing or hurting or lying or deceiving or cheating or any other kind of wickedness, now we can begin to use our tongues for what they were meant for, to praise God, to declare his love to everyone around us, to give thanks to God for his mighty works, to speak love and blessing in his name. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit, a loosed tongue to sing his praises, just as the apostles did. The miracle goes on today. Thanks be to God that he has forgiven your sins, that he's preached good news to you, that these miracles are happening now, that your new hearts are being sanctified by him, that your new tongues are set free so that you can, like those apostles, glorify God. When you leave here today, be busy with one thing. One thing, it seems reductionistic. Maybe it's too little. Maybe there are other things that should occupy our attention, but really, this is all that matters. Be busy with one thing. Open your mouths and declare the mighty works of God. And watch and see how God continues to pour out his Holy Spirit on your family, on your friends, on the world around you. Watch and see how much God loves you, that he would use you for such a good work. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.